Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We have a parable that we're going to look at this morning. Um, I want to welcome the Didays back from India. And we want to remember their son in prayer. He's sick as well, right? Okay. Welcome back. Matthew chapter 20. Parable. When we look at Scripture, it's always a good idea to look at a passage in context. Oftentimes, the context will place the passage in its setting and give us a clue into what the passage is pointing at. So even though our passage, uh, the passage that I was given to preach on was Matthew 21 through 16, we have to back up to see the context in which the Lord presents that parable. Many of you will remember the story. Uh, In Matthew 19, verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, so this teaching in Matthew 20 is precipitated by this man making this question. And then, of course, Peter responding. And one thing I like about Peter is sometimes he opens his mouth rather impulsively, and sometimes he can put his foot in it. And so I can really appreciate that because sometimes, I, oftentimes I do that. But one thing I appreciate about Peter is that he's transparent. He'll oftentimes say what's on the top of his mind. And when you talk to people a lot, I had experience this week with a student, and the student was having a difficult time, and I was trying to find out what was going on in the mind of this student, and I would ask questions and there would be silence. Silence. They didn't want to say what was going on in their mind. There was all kinds of fears in revealing what was going on in their minds. Well, Peter didn't have any such fears. He would just blurt it out. And that affords the opportunity for the Lord to bring teaching to not only Peter, but the apostles, and by extension, through the word of God to us this morning, to saints of all generations. And the Lord doesn't just pick little items that are insignificant to place in his word. He places things that will be of benefit to us spiritually. So I really appreciate Peter for that. And we're going to see what he says at the end of this passage. So he said, "Why?" the Lord Jesus responded to this man, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter eternal life or enter into life, keep the commandments. He was putting a test out there. He was testing the man's understanding. He knew what the man's understanding was, but he throws that out there to get him to think. He had an opportunity to recognize who Jesus was. He had an opportunity to recognize that he really, if he were honest, he doesn't keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So what the Lord was doing, he was exposing this man. He was inviting him to take an honest and sincere sincere appraisal of where he stood. He claimed to obey the commandments, and the last one of which says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus tells him, 
one last thing, really to expose, I think one of the reasons is to expose that he really wasn't loving his neighbor as himself. Because we're going to find later on in the passage, he wasn't willing to leave his possessions. And yet he wasn't willing to share his possessions. So did he really love his neighbor as himself? No. He had an opportunity to recognize that. And come, follow me, Jesus said. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Great possessions. In his mind's eye, his possessions were such value, he just couldn't let go of them. And that's going to be really the theme of this message this morning. Letting go. Letting go. Because I believe it carries into the next chapter, into the parable and beyond. And I hope to show you that this morning. Letting go. A willingness to let go. You see, this man had no willingness to let go of something in his life. No willingness to let go of something. People are stumbled by this passage when they think it only applies to material possessions. That's a very serious danger, spiritually being unwilling to let go of something that the Lord is calling you to let go of. And if we look at that in a broader sense, if we look at this passage in a broader sense, we see and we recognize that the people that will not end up in heaven The people that will end in hell will be there because they were unwilling to let go. And that's why people don't come to know the Lord. That's why people don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because they're unwilling to let go. What are they unwilling to let go of? Well, oftentimes they have preconceived notions of what God wants them to give up. And since they're unwilling to give those things up, they're unwilling to come to the Lord. They could be a dream, a hope, prosperity, possessions, power, something as simple as a relationship that they're pursuing or they're involved in, a desire for children, a desire for material possessions. It could be a a desire for position, influence, power. It could be simply a refusal or an unwillingness to let go of my pride and humble myself to recognize that I deserve nothing more than the wrath of God because of my sins. It could be an unwillingness to give up a pursuit of a healthy body, a big, impressive, powerful physique, an unwillingness to give up the pursuit of presenting myself as the world considers valuable, whether it's through makeup, whether it's through dress, whether it's through a fancy sports car, whatever. It's an unwillingness to let go of something. Some people, unwillingness to let go of a dependence on things, whether it's drugs or what have you. An unwillingness to let go keeps people from heaven. And it's sad. It kept this person from eternal life. Because he had great possessions. It's impressive how valuable people consider things that in the eyes of God are of very little value. Things of which men esteem, God considers of very little value. And the things of which God esteems, men oftentimes consider not of great value. This man went away sorrowful. Why? (laughs) Because he wanted both. If I have to give this up to get that... Oh, that makes me sad, but I'm walking away. 
I can remember the choice laid before me. If you know the Lord, you remember the choice laid before you. Do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive eternal life as a free gift? The word whispered into my ear by the enemy was, what if he makes you go to Africa and dress up in a grass skirt and just tell people about Jesus for the rest of your life? Another voice in this other ear said, Eric, hello, we're talking eternal life here, heaven. The comparison, easy choice. And the Lord was never asking me to do that. But that was the thought. Was I willing to let go of that fear? Let go of the reluctance to do that? Sure, we're talking eternal life. I'm letting go of everything. That's the proper response. And this man was unwilling to do that. Okay, then Jesus said to his disciples, he turned to his disciples. Now, here's a lesson. He's, that's why I love about the Lord Jesus. Here's a, here's a uh, circumstance that happened in everyday life. A guy comes up to him and he says this, and Jesus has a personal interaction with him. And the disciples are, are listening. They're overhearing. Now, he turns to the disciples and he has a lesson for that. Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say impossible. He says hard. Why is it hard? Well, it's hard to give up. It's hard to give up. It's hard to surrender. Not just possessions, but other things that come with it. When you're a rich person, you might be popular. Everybody wants to be a friend of a rich person, right? Maybe it'll rub off by association. (laughs) Whatever. He was unwilling to give it up. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so the Lord just gives an illustration. I love the Lord's illustration of how difficult it is. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? You see, in their minds, the Lord, and, and so it was the economy of the Old Testament, no longer the economy of the New Testament, but the economy of the Old Testament is that God will materially bless the individual that seeks to obey God. It's promised throughout the Old Testament. And so the disciples walk in, in their lifetime They saw the rich as those that were favored by God. They must be favored by God because God's blessing them materially. And there was that association through the Old Testament. Association in the New Testament, the truth in the New Testament that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So uh, a vast store of material wealth wealth isn't, isn't an indication of God's blessing. It might be an indication of a curse for many people. But somehow, somehow, we find that hard to get out of our minds. So they were astonished. Who then can be saved? If, if those that are favored by God in this economy find it that hard to enter the kingdom, what about the rest of us? <laughs> That's what he was saying. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He said it was hard. He didn't say it was possible. God can bring even a rich person to himself. (laughs) Difficulty. But it's possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, and here's where we have the introduction to the context of the new parable. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What shall we have? Look at what we've done. We've made sacrifices. We've left everything. You're talking about willingness to let go. We're willing. We we let go of everything. And that's the nature of man, to let go, only to grasp again. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. There was some grasping here. 
And he carries on into over the past that to show that really didn't quite get it. Okay, the hand that releases is looking for something to grasp. The blessing from God is that he never asks us to go anything that he doesn't want to give us something better in its place. Okay, but God places it there. And something that is received by God should never be held with a grasping hand. Because if God placed it there, he may not want it to stay there. He may want it to be there for a season. And then afterwards, he takes it away to put something better in its place. And at any time that we're grasping, that's an indication that we're not trusting God for what he's given. We have to keep it ourselves. That's the first indication somebody's not walking in faith in relation to the things that God has given him or entrusted him with. So we read. What shall we have? What shall there be for us? That's another one, another way of saying, what's in it for me, isn't it? Well, what's in it for me? Now, at this time in Peter's life, he understood that, well, I believe he understood that he had eternal life. So we're not talking about eternal life. We're talking about something besides. Because as the floor of the passage talks about, I believe it's talking about the millennial kingdom, and Jesus responds to that. Well, you'll get something. I'll tell you what you'll get. But it comes with a warning. And oftentimes we as Christians, um, we know that we have eternal life because we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We know that we won't be judged for our sins because he was judged for our sins on the cross. We know that he offered eternal life as a free gift and he, we've received it as we received him as our Savior. But the question is, what else is there? <laughs> what else is there? What's in it for us? And, you know, you could look at it another way, too. What's in it for me? What's in it for me in Christian service? And we're going to talk about some dangers. So I just want to plant that seed. We'll come back to it. So Peter says, therefore, what shall we have in verse 27? So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, which I believe is talking about the millennium, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they will have their place. And Jesus lets them know what their place will be. He doesn't give them everything. He doesn't tell them all the details. There may be more besides, but he doesn't say that. This is what he lays before them. Almost as if to say, is this enough? Is this enough? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So there's a precious promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you know the Lord and you've left some of those things. Father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, lands. For Christ's sake. For the work of the Lord. Because he felt you, call, you felt him call you to give those things up. Those are precious promises right there. A hundredfold. He will make good on that promise. He will. And some, in some cases, he already has, but oftentimes people don't recognize it. I remember when I came to know the Lord, and I wanted to read the Bible at night, and my mom would turn off the light, and she says, you're not reading that Bible. <laughs> I'm paying the light bill, and I don't want you to read it. Okay. I went out in the street and read the Bible under the street light. That's fine. No big deal. But what really got me is she said, when, I, when you go to school, I'm going to sneak into your room, I'm going to find your Bible, I'm going to tear it up. Okay, I'll take my Bible to school with me then. <laughs> that was good for me, right? 
And uh, so in many ways, I had to give up um, my family in a sense. When it came to holidays, my first priority was to meet with the saints. And I would get this argument, just this one time a year, can't you stay with your family? And I said, yeah, as soon as I get back with meeting. (laughs) You see, I felt that was a better testimony going to be the saints than compromising and staying with my family. And you know what the Lord's given me in return? I don't have to wait till the future. The Lord's given me a family right here. A family that's closer than my family has ever been. And years down the road, the Lord gave me my own sister as a sister in Christ, precious to my heart. But I was willing to give up my family for Christ's sake. It wasn't too hard for me because my family life wasn't all that good. So I don't want to paint it out more than it was. But I just want to tell you that even in this life, the Lord does have a fulfillment of this promise a hundredfold. I never had a family so big. So it's precious to me. But he, he, he gives these last words in verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that's the key to this next passage because it's repeated at the end. So this parable is about explaining that verse. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And it's going to just, it's going to teach Peter something about what he said. What's in it for us? And the Lord, I believe the Lord is going to show Peter that there's going to be something there for you. But more important that what you're going to have is the attitude in which you hold it when you look at others. And so we want to remember that as we come down into this passage. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed, agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, which was a day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. So he went out in the morning and it was 6 o'clock in the morning. That's when their day started. Go out in the marketplace and it's sort of like Home Depot sometimes, a gathering of people that want to do day work. Um, well, I'll refrain from that, but uh, <laughs> that was normal, customary, legal, and they were that was that was just the way they did things. And they went there, and the, the the landowner found people that were looking for work, and he hired all of them. Nobody left out. And he went out. Uh, let's see. And he went out about the third hour. It was nine o'clock. He went back out. And saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So now there had gathered more that perhaps they were sleeping in. I don't know. Um, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. Okay, so he found more and he hired all of them. So they went. Verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. So he went out at noon and he went out at 3 p.m. and did likewise. So he's been out there, what, four times now? Six, nine, noon, and three, right? Now about the eleventh hour, wow, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? Okay. They must not have been there earlier or they would have been hired. And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. So they're, they're there at the last hour. Only one more hour of work. And uh, some people won't even go to work for an hour. They figure it's not worth their time, but not these. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. 
Okay, there's a key. To, there's something that the Lord wants them to understand about this parable because that is not normal. Because we're going to find out later on that he's going to pay the ones that came at the 11th hour the same that he agreed upon with those that came at the beginning of the day. Now, you know that's going to cause all kinds of conflict. Now, I don't even think there was a labor union at the time. <laughs> so there's a reason for that. Had he wanted to avoid that, he would just paid the ones that were hired at the beginning of the day first, dismiss them, later on be generous and pay the others. But he wants them to see. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. So they all got the same. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. They were murmuring, grumbling, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered to one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So, the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. And so, we have this parable encapsulated between the same words. Okay? Many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so what's he saying to the disciples? What's he saying to Peter? You'll get, you'll get rewarded. But what's your eye going to be like towards those that maybe they don't work quite as hard as you? Maybe they come into the kingdom a little later, the 11th hour. And you've borne the burden of working the length of the day. And they come in at the last hour. When they receive the same as you, will you be happy for them? Or will you be jealous? Will you be mad? Will you grumble and complain at the landowner because you felt you deserved more than they did? Or will you praise God for his generosity? Will you rejoice with your neighbor? who didn't find work until the last hour and yet all his needs are met. What will your attitude be like, Peter, when that happens? And so we find a lesson for us there too. And so I want to look at uh, things we can learn from, from this parable. We started with an unwillingness to let go. Unwillingness to let go. We are seeing here that the Lord is giving a heads up to Peter because there's something he's going to have to let go of. We found that the rich man was unwilling to let go of his possessions in trade for eternal life. Was that a wise decision? It was a foolish decision. And yet there's people that make that decision every day. They put it off because they're not yet, I'm not ready to let go of something. Presuming upon the Lord that he'll give them tomorrow another opportunity to let it go. Very dangerous presumption. God doesn't promise us tomorrow. It says in the scripture, today's the day of salvation, the day that God's offering it. He doesn't promise to offer it to tomorrow. Okay, so here we're talking about the apostles. Now, they had eternal life. And if you know the Lord, you have eternal life. So the teaching goes toward the apostles. What does it mean to us, an unwillingness to let go? What are some of the things people are unwillingness, unwilling to let go of? Because there's a danger there. Okay, They could be unwilling to let go of their plans, whatever they may be. They could convince themselves that 
it's the Lord's plans. And I've been around long enough, and I have such a sinful nature that I can conceive of plenty of strong arguments to convince everybody around you, me, that it's the Lord's will. That doesn't mean it's the Lord's will. And each person knows in their heart when they're doing that. Because the Lord will show them. But they could be unwilling to give that up. And nobody will know it but them and the Lord. Your own plans. Your own aspirations. And they might be healthy aspirations. They might be considered spiritual aspirations. But if God wants you to give those up, then that's God's plan. And an unwillingness to give those aspirations is going to lead somebody down the road that is not God's will for their life. And down that road, there is not only difficulty. There is not only misery at times. There's loss of reward for all eternity. And that's something that no Christian should wish for themselves. Unwillingness to give up a soft stand toward your children. Unwillingness to give up the desire for a better paying job. Unwillingness to give up a life of ease, a life of laziness. Unwillingness to give up uh, ambitions toward riches. Unwillingness to give up bitterness toward someone. Unwillingness to forgive. An unwillingness to move on from this plateau, this spiritual plateau that I find myself just camping out in to climb the mountain of spiritual growth to better serve God and to experience eternal life. Unwillingness to trust God for the future, for my retirement in an age where everything financial is crumbling around us. There's a lot of areas in which we can apply that danger of unwillingness to give up what God's calling us to give up. Hope and aspiration, whether it be marriage, whether it be a retirement. You know, I can. God could be calling me to give up what I feel would be a life that would more honor and glorify Him, but He knows better. A willingness to give up bitterness toward other Christians because of an experience past in which I was wronged. An unwillingness to be submissive when it's so, so difficult to be submissive. An unwillingness to sacrifice and come to a midweek prayer meeting. All these things rob us of future blessings and future rewards. And so there's a very real danger that the Lord teaches us here. Danger of a bargaining spirit. I'll serve the Lord as long as I could be calling the shots. Long as I could be part of the decision-making body. Long as God takes care of my needs and let me tell him what they are. There's a lot of conditions a Christian could put on serving the Lord. Long as somebody doesn't challenge me to do something that's uncomfortable for me, I'll serve the Lord. Long as it's just not too hard. Danger of a bargaining spirit. We'll have eternal life. We will have reward, but we can cut ourselves short because God wants so much more for us. Danger of a bargaining spirit. Danger in a what's in it for me. 
I'll serve the Lord as long as it stroked my ego. As long as I could be seen as somebody that's spiritual or important. As long as I could preach. <laughs> There's a lot of things in which we can show a what's-in-it-for-me attitude that's a danger. There's a danger in this parable. We learn the danger in this parable of losing sight of eternal life in both its aspects. Not only life that goes on forever, but the quality of life that comes with walking close with someone so wonderful as our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people that have sacrificed even their lives. There are people that have sold themselves into bondage to reach an unreached people. And it was enough for them that they knew and walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. They considered that privilege far outweighing the difficulties that the Lord called them to. And the Lord called them to that, gave them the grace and the strength to live through it, and in the meantime gave them just a, so close of a walk with the Lord. You can't describe it other than eternal life. You see, these people that worked all day long, chances are they saw the landowner come in and out. Chances are they saw the dealings the landowner had not only with them, with others, his kindness. He was unlike most landowners. He saw his generosity toward those that were less fortunate than they. He had a chance many years to walk with someone with such a character. And what happened? They were comparing themselves with others. And that's a real danger in our lives. Whenever we compare ourselves with someone else, there's a real danger. There's a real danger. Why should I compare myself with anyone? Apostle Paul didn't worry about others that judged him. He knew that one that was looking at was the Lord. And that's who he looked, for, looked to and toward. Anytime we compare ourselves with another Christian, we're in trouble. We don't have the mind and heart of Christ, and it's going to lead us astray, and will lead us to ill thoughts, perhaps jealousies. Uh, and we're going to think of a story at the end of this, an illustration that will help us to see. We can look in both directions, you know. We can look at those that seem more blessed than us, and that's the tendency, because we want that blessing. Or we can look the other direction and learn some lessons. They have a much more difficult road to hoe than I do, a road to hoe than I do. And we always have a tendency to look this way. We should never look either way. We should look to the Lord. Be grateful for what he's given. Know that he promises reward. But above and beyond all that, he's given us a life to walk with him through where we can see him respond and meet our needs and we can get to know him in this life. And if your difficulties are greater than others, that means you're going to be depending that much more on the Lord and he's going to be carrying you more than he's going to be carrying them. That's a blessing and a privilege, although we don't tend to see it that way because we're not always looking through spiritual eyes, and I include myself. The danger of missed opportunities we read about in this parable, we see missed opportunities. How many times have we missed opportunities? Missed opportunities for the Lord's blessing, for future reward, because we're jealous, because we're envious, because our eyes are on someone else. And because our service is tainted with those thoughts. It doesn't need to be that way. Danger of a low-burning flame. We read this in this parable that there were some uh, hired at the beginning of the day and then throughout the day. And some people, many people see that parallel in at what time in your life did you come to know the Lord? Did you come while a child? Did you come while a teenager? A young adult? Or did you come to know the Lord at the at the very end of your life. Okay. 
Now, um, oftentimes I confess there are times where I'd been envious of people that came to know the Lord uh, young in their life, envious of people that were raised in a Christian family because they seemed to have at least Christian principles ingrained in their very makeup, it seemed. <laughs> Maybe it was because they had many years um, of walking with the Lord that they had developed so far spiritually that it made me envious. But there's a danger with those people that know the Lord for a long period of time. And that danger is maintaining a bright and burning testimony. And I like to think of two candles. The difference between a skinny candle and a fat candle. There's a couple differences that we can learn lessons from. A skinny candle is going to burn brightly, isn't it? It has everything it needs. It has wax on the wick. It has oxygen that it needs all surrounding it. And when you light that candle, it's going to light up the room more than a fat candle. At least after a period of time. Why? Because all the things it doesn't need, the excess wax, it's going to melt away and fall down the stem. And they look pretty after they do that for a period of time. But it maintains a narrow diameter. A fat candle, flames in the middle, you first light it, oh, that's beautiful. And it's scented, it smells good. But it's so big that that flame, as it burns, there's no way for that wax to fall away. And it has way more than it needs. And it become, it begins to crowd itself around the wick and squeeze that flame. And as it burns real low, it doesn't burn as bright as the narrow candle, does it? Why? Because it's given its light through obscurity of all the things it doesn't need around it, all that wax. Right? And the added uh, problem is that as that candle burns lower, or the wick burns lower in the candle, it doesn't have that free flow of oxygen, what it needs to burn brightly, because it's just surrounded by so much junk it doesn't need. If you want that candle to burn brightly, you've got to cut away all that wax. And if you're a person, you have to be willing to let go. And somebody might argue, and that really describes oftentimes the older Christian. And I want to take that lesson to heart because I don't want to be like that. And somebody might argue, yeah, there's a flame. They have eternal life. Yes, there is a flame. And it's burning deep within. Yeah, that sounds spiritual. But we're left in the world to give witness and testimony to the light. We're, we're, we're in the world to shine as the light. And that hinders us from doing that. So there's a danger there. We need to cut the wax. Get rid of what we don't need. The baggage that's not just material possessions. The baggage of a bitter heart. The baggage of a jealous spirit, an envious heart, the what's in it for me attitude. We need to cut that away and we will burn more brightly for the Lord. So there's a danger, bitterness, jealousy. And I'd like to just close with this illustration um, because I believe that if you really, really look at things and look at, you see, this parable is about a landowner, right? But we're talking about the Lord of glory. We're talking about the creator of our soul. And with God, there's no coincidences. It's not by coincidence that you were born where you were born, where you were born, that you grew up where you grew up, that you find yourself in this assembly, that you're married to who you're married, if you're married or you're not married because you're not married. Those aren't just happenstances. God's got a very unique plan for your life. And he has a very specific set of ingredients that he's dealing with with you and your soul and with your circumstances and with your environment. And he's got a project going in your life. And he promises great reward for those that get with the program. So here's a story of three nephews. 
and an uncle. And this uncle loved those nephews, and he was a really rich uncle. And he wanted to bless these nephews of his, and so he studied them. And he found that each one of those nephews, they had different interests. One of them liked um, cars. One of them liked boats. One of them liked planes. And you couldn't get one to like one of those others more than what they liked what they liked. The guy that liked cars, I don't care how many planes you gave him, how many boats you get, he liked cars. It was the same way with the guy that liked boats, same way with the guy that liked planes. And on their 12th birthday, this uncle, after studying them for so long, had what he felt was the perfect gift for them. But his, this uncle was sometimes, you weren't quite sure he liked to play tricks. And so he had a birthday party for him on their 12th birthday. And he got them each a present. And each present was in a big cardboard box. Well, so big. No markings on the cardboard box. They were all identical. And he gave a party for him, told him how much he loved them, how he had plans for their lives, wanted to help them out and succeed in life. But it's only their 12th birthday, so he had this present for him. And he wanted them to make the best of it, enjoy the present and how they seemed fit. But don't open it till you get home. Till each one of them went to their separate homes because they were from three different families. So they went home. And the first kid opened up his box. And he looked at it. And he figured, that uncle is just like Eric Shork. And he's got this big, giant box, but the present's only so big. So what he found in there, and, and his uncle was well-to-do, so he had it done up right. So what did he have in there? He had a block of styrofoam shrink-wrapped. A block of wood shrink wrapped. And then he had this little Ravel model of a real fancy car. So the son said, cool, he's only 12 years old. And he just stuck the box under his bed. Later on, the accumulation of things under his bed, he just tossed the box. But he had this model. And so he went to bed. He went to work putting together this model. And putting together this model, he learned certain things about diagrams. And the kids these days, they don't learn that. I'm in the construction industry, so I recognize that. You show somebody a schematic of details, cutaway pictures, and they're, what am I looking at? Whereas, because they're playing video games. That's what their entertainment is. When I was young, we didn't have video games. You went down and you got a model, and they had a schematic with all the parts, and you had to see how that part fit in here. So you learn how to read something like a mechanical drawing just as a kid. So he figured, well, they're going to learn that. Right? So he was thinking in his mind, this gift is going to be good for them because it's going to develop something in them that they'll use later on in life. Okay? The kid was thrilled with his present until he saw his brother's present or his uh, cousin's present. Cousin? Yeah, cousin's present. Because they got on the phone and they talked about their presents. I got this cool model, you know, it's got paint, it's got, you know, glue to put it together, blah, blah, blah. And his... Uh, his cousin said, well, I got this boat. And uh, it's got layers and layers and layers of laminated wood that come out and they're pre-stamped. And I punch them apart and I put it together and it's actual structure. And it's a boat that floats. I take it down and I put it in the water. It's got a fiberglass shell and all the instructions were in that. And the first nephew started to get jealous and say, wow, that sounds like a better gift than mine. You know, and uh, and so what's it look like? He described. It. He goes, "Wow, man, I wish I could would have got something that nice." Man, Uncle must like you better than he likes me because I sort of feel like I got ripped off. You know, and of course the second nephew, he's sort of feeling proud of himself. He's thinking, "Yeah, I got a nice gift, didn't I?" You know, until he called up the other nephew, 
And the other nephew, he said, what'd you get? I got this, you know, I got this plane. And, you know, that block of wood was, once I opened it, you know, I found out that it was layer after layer of balsa wood. And they were all pre-punched with numbers and everything. And in there was the diagram of how this plane went together. And I put it all together. And, you know, that styrofoam block, the one the other two threw out, I opened that up and there was a radio control in there, transmitter, receivers, servos, little connectors, turnbuckles, and the diagram of how to put all this together. So I got an airplane that flies. And so he started getting jealous. I didn't get that. I just got a boat that floats. You know? So later on in life, they found out that the uncle had placed those same similar items in each one of those presents. You see... The guy that had the car, if he would have opened that block of wood, he would have seen diagrams for a model car that was like the best out. And if he would have opened the styrofoam box next to it, he would have found it has a radio controller as well. But there's one thing that was missing. And I'll tell you about that after I go through the guy with the boat. Same thing. He had a radio control in that styrofoam and he threw it out. He was so busy being jealous of the guy that got the plane that he was mad at his uncle. Wow, you blessed him more than you blessed me. Well, what's with that? How come I didn't get something nice? Well, on his 18th birthday, the guy with the plane, you know what he got? His uncle had purchased, he was a rich uncle, he had purchased a car factory, a boat factory, and a plane factory. And when that kid was 18 years old, he made him CEO of the plane factory. Why? Well, because he was taking what was given, and with a good attitude, he just looked a little more closely at what was given. Started with the model and he developed some skills in putting together that model. It went to the wooden block and then he learned other skills. And then he had the hopes, wow, if I went from plastic, now I got a wooden model. What's in the styrofoam? He went to the styrofoam, he had great hopes. And he learned all about mechanical things and electrical things and, and electronics with the radio transmitter and the receiver. And that was ready. That was when he was ready to turn the styrofoam block upside down and see what was in there. And that was a, a will that augmented his normal will that said, "You are now the C CEO of this company." It was a plane factory. So now he got a whole factory. You see, and the other kids they were so busy looking at what everybody else got to look what they got. A car factory was in there. A boat factory was in there. High tech. And they had just thrown it away. Because one, they weren't looking at what their uncle gave them. They were too busy being distracted by other things. Too busy being jealous at what the other guy got more. To realize, hey, you got something that was tailor-made for you. Based on the interest that you have. And that's where these three sons were. And that's like us in life. You will not believe how remarkably suited you are for doing what God wants you to do. You have everything you need in the Lord Jesus Christ. And besides that, he takes your personality, your likes, your talents, your skill, and he wraps it all up. And with what he adds, you are totally sufficient to do what he has designed you to do. And there's no greater joy than doing what you were designed to do. And what hinders us is looking at others. Comparing ourselves with someone else. Hey, how can you compare a plane factory with a car factory? They're different. Stop comparing. 
Somebody might be an evangelist. Another person's a teacher. Another person's a preacher. A person has the gifts of giving. Another person has a gift of faith, gift of mercy. Yeah, I wish I had them all, but I don't. <laughs> but God's given me what I need to accomplish His will. And He's given you what you need to accomplish His will. And there's great reward unless we short-circuit that. And we short-circuit that with the what's-in-it-for-me attitude. With the looking at others and comparing ourselves with one another. Somehow feeling insecure because I'm not as good as the next guy. Rather than we see in the New Testament, well, I wish we all had tongues. I wish we all were prophets, you know. That's the attitude he wants us to have. And so we need to guard. Where's our heart now? Where's your heart? If you know the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. I've experienced those things in the past. And I know I've short-circuited future reward for myself. The Lord's teaching me something here, and I hope he's teaching you something. We should, each one of us, seek to use what he's given us. Seek to be involved. Every one of those people in the marketplace, he hired. There was a job for everyone. There's a job for everyone in the kingdom of God. And you've been going to this assembly probably for a long time. I have. There's plenty of work to do. There's no shortage of rewards available and that's what he's calling us to. Develop the spiritual gift within, keeping our eyes on who it is that is calling us into service. We're working side by side with the Lord. And there's great reward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for your teaching. And Lord, it ministers to us. It speaks to sometimes the attitude and the heart that we have. Comparing ourselves with one another. Wondering, well, what are we going to have? Lord, we know that if we were to receive what we deserve, we'd be in hell. And so, Lord, anything we receive from your hand is more than we deserve. But we want to, Lord, be bright burning candles in this world, a light that would attract people to Christ. And so I pray that if there's something in my life, if there's something in the life of anyone else here that's like that candle wax that just suffocates the bright and burning flame that you want us to have in our lives, pray that you'd reveal it to us that you would help us to have an open hand, be willing to let go so that you could trim that wax away, that we might be burning bright for you. For we ask it in your name. Amen.